We are uh, continuing in a uh, series on people from the past, Christian, Christian heroes, Christian failures, Christian uh, saints and sinners. And uh, we've been calling it Windows to the Spirit Story because we're talking about people through whom the Spirit of God did work, through whom, whom the Spirit of God broke through into history. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite uh, heroes, one of my favorite um, Christians in the last 2,000 years. Uh, his name is John Wesley. He is absolutely uh, a hero and also absolutely a sinner. <laughs> Although I'm not sure he understood in all the ways that he was a sinner, um, but that's probably typical of human existence. Uh, so John Wesley uh, is just a fascinating figure, and uh, I'm going to kind of tell you his story today, and then and then we're going to relate that story back to what we read from John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman at the well. Uh, John was born in a place called Epworth uh, in, uh, in England, and he was born to uh, uh, his father and mother. His mother, Susanna, was a huge uh, influence on his life. She was a very strong woman. Um, and kind of funny anecdote about his mother and father. His father was the parish priest, and uh, he was not a very good priest. And uh, he was also a bit of a gambler, and he was not a very good gambler. And so uh, his father would end up in debtor's prison fairly often during John's childhood. And at the time, women were not allowed to have any sort of uh, leadership in the parish. And so what would happen is uh, the parish church would just close, right, because the the priest was gone, and the Church of England didn't. It, Epworth was kind of the middle of nowhere, so they didn't send anybody to fill in for him. And so his mother, Susanna, would hold a Bible study while uh, every time that his dad was in jail, and uh, they would pack the house for Susanna's Bible study. And just standing room only, people would sit on the window sills, just with their head in the window, to hear to Susanna uh, talk and teach. And then, and then his dad would come back. <laughs> And uh, attendance at the church would just plummet again. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so John's, uh, I think, his, his real first spiritual mentor was his mother. Uh, and he grew up, he went to Oxford, got the best education that, that he could get in, uh, in, at the time. And probably still the best education you can get, actually. Uh, he was uh, one of a whole lot of different siblings. I think he had, there were 12 kids in the family. And his... Uh, his brother, and one of his brothers who was pretty close in age, was a man named Charles Wesley, who, uh, if you look through your hymnal, you'll find a number of songs written by Charles. He was a, a great hymn writer. And uh, he and uh, John started a club in college called the Holy Club. And in the Holy Club, they held each other accountable for very strict kind of spiritual practices and rules about how often they're praying, how often they're reading scripture, uh, how often they're taking care of things. And then the other thing that they would do is they would go to prison and they would minister to those in jail. And so this was the beginning of John's kind of career uh, as a minister. And he decided he wanted to become a priest. And so he went through that and he became a priest in the Anglican church. And the next thing you know, John decides he wants to be a missionary. And so he goes to America, uh, which is uh, a group of colonies at the time. And uh, he becomes a missionary, and he's convinced that he's going to go. And as soon as the Native Americans hear the gospel on his lips, that they will all pretty much rather instantly become Christians. Um, <laughs> which did not happen. I don't know if you are aware. Um, 
he did not get a single convert in the couple of years he was there in Georgia. And everyone in his church liked him about as much as they liked his dad back in Epworth. Uh, he was... He actually literally fled his church in the middle of the night because there was a warrant out for his arrest um, and sailed back to England. On his journey, though, to America, he uh, came across some people called Moravians. And there was this great storm on, on that journey. And this, in the storm, the boat begins to rock and the water begins to come up and over the edges of the boat. And everyone on the boat begins to cry in terror. And all the prayers on the boats are not your normal prayers. They are screams to God to help, except for this small group of Moravians, okay? And the Moravians are quietly singing a hymn out in the middle of the rain and the wind and the torrent. And after everything calms down and everybody's safe and everybody realizes that they're going to be safe, John uh, talks to the Moravians and he says, Why were you so calm? Are you, were you not afraid? And they said, No, we... We have put our faith in Christ. We trust him to take care of us. Death is not something that we fear. Well, this just rocked John's world. It terrified him that someone could not be terrified of death. It in, was an intense experience for him that he ruminated on for year after year after year. He eventually goes back to uh, England. He eventually goes back to England and he finds himself, uh, after being a failed missionary, he finds himself a Moravian Bible study from these guys who uh, face death with, with no fear, with comfort, and with peace. So he goes to their, their Bible study and they're reading along one day and they're talking about faith. And they're talking about the power of faith, and they're talking about the power of trust, and they're talking about the power of putting your trust in Christ and caring about what Christ cares about and entering into a personal relationship with Christ. And so John's sitting there and he says to himself, he doesn't say to himself, but he experiences as they're talking about this personal faith in Christ, John feels his heart change. He says, and I felt my heart strangely warmed. And he wrote it in his journal, and from that point forward, his life takes a dramatic change. He begins to preach radical ideas that don't seem all that radical these days, but they were very, very, very radical at the time. They preached, he preached the idea that you put your faith in Christ, and Christ wraps himself around you, and when he wraps himself around you, his spirit changes who you are. So he preaches this idea of faith leading to what we would call holy love. Holiness lived out through the action and activity of love. And John spent most of his life preaching for these two things. I was thinking about how most of the people that I've talked to you about so far in this sermon series, we've talked about things that they've preached against. We've talked about things that they've preached against. Um, and most of the time... We, uh, we cannot uh, talk about what has been, most of the time we, we find ourselves uh, preaching about things that we're against. But John found himself captured and captivated by the idea of what he wanted to preach for. By preaching for faith and preaching for love, preaching for this idea of holiness. And what happens is, is that he has an extreme and intense experience. People start 
to believe in what he's preaching. People start to change their lives because of what he's preaching. And the Anglican Church forbids him to preach anymore. <laughs> so he's preaching about faith. He's preaching about this holy love. He's preaching all this stuff. And, uh, and the church turns his back on him. He's priest. He's ordained. He has every right to be in a church. But they kick him out. So John decides uh, to do something different. He decides to go striding on his horseback throughout the countryside and to preach who, whoever, to whoever will listen to him, to preach this idea of faith and holy love. He preached over 40,000 sermons that way. He rode on his horse more than 250,000 miles. And England's not that big of a place. I don't know if you know that, but uh, it's an island. All those 250,000 miles were there on the island. And he would uh, preach four, up to four times in a day, sometimes even uh, five sermons. And the people would come and they would gather around. Most people, when they talked about John Wesley's preaching, they said it was boring. It wasn't all that amazing, really. But what they talked about was the idea of faith and trust in God changing their life. So what, there are stories many, many times John would go and he would stand on a, a fence post or he'd stand on a rock. Or he'd stand here and he'd stand there. And there would be this uh, uh, crowd that was a mile deep that come and they would listen to John preach. Another thing that uh, John uh, had happen was uh, that he would decided at a certain point in time, he decided that he was going to give away most of his money. He decided when he was a young man, he was going to live off of like a thousand pounds a year or something like that. And so he, even though he became a very rich man, he continued to live off of a thousand pounds a year and he would give, he would just give all the excess, excess away. Uh, so estimated that giving around 30,000 pounds away, which is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money in our, in our world. The last thing uh, that you might know about his life is that he's considered the father of evangelicalism. Um, evangelicalism in its most basic form is that is about having a personal relationship with Christ. That each and every person can, if they put their trust in Christ, actually talk to him and actually relate to him and actually have him walk alongside you. So if you believe that, then you probably fall somewhere under the umbrella of evangelicalism. And that is in large part thanks to the hard work and perseverance of John Wesley. Um, the uh, word, I've been telling you that I was going to give you a Greek word every time. The word that I've given John Wesley is oikumene, which means the inhabitable world, the whole earth, the whole world. Uh, I was thinking about this, this passage when I used, used it. And this good news of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That the trajectory of the church, the trajectory of the activity of the church and the activity of Christians is that it will spread. That this news about Jesus and his rule and his reign and his goodness and his teachings will go to the ends of the earth. That doesn't happen if you stay inside a building. That doesn't happen if you do not learn to break down walls of where God belongs and where God doesn't, doesn't belong. As John said this, uh, I look upon all the world as my parish, 
Thus far, I mean that in whatever part of it I am, I judge it meet, right, and my bounden duty to declare unto all that are willing to hear the glad tidings of salvation. This is the work which I know God has called me to, and I and sure I am that his blessing attends it. So John has this stirring in his heart to preach this message about salvation through faith and about how when you put your faith in Christ, that changes you. It makes you holy. And John says, I can't. OK, I've been kicked out of the church. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to live this calling everywhere. I am not going to let this calling be uh, bamboozled by the idea that I got to be here. Or I got to be there. Or I got to be here. That it can only be done in this way, in that place, in that time. But everywhere I go, all the world, oikumene, all of it will be my parish. All of it will be available. My calling will be available to all of it. That is a, uh, a pretty awesome idea, if you ask me. Now, you all probably are not called to do what John was called to do. Right? You are not necessarily called to go find a rock and just start preaching to people. Perhaps you will be but unlikely. However, there are things that God's spirit does call you to. There are things that we know God calls us to. Things like encouraging one another. Things like uh, leading one another in truth. Things like doing your best at the job you have. Things like loving your family. Loving each other, things like loving your enemies, things like loving the people who come and go in your life, loving your neighbor, whatever it is, the spirit is, is uh, stirring in your hearts. It has no bounds. It has no walls. It cannot have any walls. The spirit's story inside of John is the story of him being led to seek Jesus, not in forms, not in rituals, not in brick or stone buildings, but to seek his calling in truth and in spirit. Remember from John chapter 4, Jesus' words to, this, to the woman at the well. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. The reason Jesus says that is because the woman at the well says, uh, should we worship at our mountain or the Jews' mountain? All right, so should you worship in a church of God or a building or should you worship in, uh, I don't know, a four square church? Should you worship uh, in a church building or should you worship in a hut? Should you worship uh, in uh, dressed really nicely or dressed really poorly? Should you worship with a hat on or with a hat off? Should you worship uh, with uh, whoa, hymns or choruses? <laughs> should you worship? She's this begging this question. Where's the right place? What's the right method? What's the right way to engage with God? And Jesus' answer to her is in spirit and truth because God is not someone who lives in a building. The reason he tells her God is spirit is to, is to explain to her your idea of God is like in this spot, as relegated to this space. 
is faulty. God does not act like that. You remember that when Stephen um, is stoned in the book of Acts, one of the reasons they stone him is because he says, don't you know that God does not live in temples built by human hands? And so I ask you today, when you think about John, it's not that I want you to go and preach here or preach there. What I want you to do and what I want us to take away from him is the opening up of every little spot in your life. The opening up of every arena, everything that you think about, every thought, every word, every conversation, the entire oikumene of your life. Everything. Can God live there? Can you open your eyes to him already being there? Can you see that he is spirit and he is boundless and you cannot just engage with him on Sundays? You cannot just engage with him through a pastor or priest. You cannot just engage with him here or there, but that God is everywhere. We cannot settle for a spirituality that says, I will experience God here, but not there. We cannot settle for a Christian path that says, I will take God to this friendship, but not that one. I will see God and engage with God in this broken relationship, but not in that broken relationship. I will struggle here with this addiction, but I'll let God take care of this other addiction. We cannot settle for that. Just like John could not settle for saying, well, I've been kicked out of the church. I guess that means I can't preach anymore. There's this theological idea behind this that is really quite simple from Mark chapter 15 when it's talking about Jesus' death. It says, Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain was in the temple and it was designated to keep us away from God. God was on the other side of it. The Holy of Holies was on the other side of it and people could come on this side of the, the curtain in the temple. The idea is that when Christ breaks the power of sin and death on the cross, when he takes that punishment on himself, he, he takes literally takes the punishment away from us. Now we are avail Christ is available to us everywhere. Christ is with us. I imagine you might be tired almost of me saying it, but it is so true that Christ is is with us and with us always and with us in every arena and with us in every place and in every time. And the reason I preach it so often is because it's so easy to forget. You're laying awake at night and something's troubling you. How often do we forget to seek Christ in that moment? How often do we forget to invite him to minister to us in that thing that bothers us so much? How often in our interactions with uh I don't know, somebody cuts us off on the road. How often do we forget to attend ourselves to the Spirit of Christ who is with us in that moment? This idea of God with us is key. It is so important. It must never be neglected. I do not apologize for it. It must be preached over and over and over again. And I thank John so much for his witness to it. I'll end with this. His last words on his deathbed, he raised his arms. He's uh, 88 years old. And he raises his arms and he says, the best of all is this. God is with us. And he said it like eight times over and over again with his hands held high. 
The best of all is this. God is with us. The best of all is this. God is with us. And then he died. Literally, like there were 30 people in the room. His arms dropped and he was gone. The best of all is this. Uh, of, the best of all is this, River Street. God is with us. And not here, not there, not over there, not in here, but not there. Not God is with us. So I invite you as uh, we sing the next couple of songs, come up and, and maybe there's a space in your life that you're, you're relegating God out of. Or you maybe there's a spot where God and Christ invaded your life. The Spirit led you out of something. The Spirit just broke through into this spot. Maybe you want to just come up here and commemorate that and write down, thank you, Jesus, for doing that in my life. Thank you for reminding me. So I invite you to do that. There are markers up here to write whatever you'd like to write in color or crayons to do some coloring. Um, with that, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your promise to be with us. You are so good and so kind and so great. Help us to seek you when we are, when we are angry. Help us to seek you when we're distracted. Help us to seek you when we're sinning. Help us to seek you in the midst of addiction and turmoil and heartache. And help us to seek you in the midst of celebration and goodness. We pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.